Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the NASCA Stop Child Abuse Now, also known as SCAN, Blog Talk Radio Show. NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And um, also um, NAASCA, that's what I was going to tell you, <laughs> um, dot org. And you can go to their website and check us out. So my name is Kim Lakin. Welcome this evening. I'm your host. And my co-host this evening is Penelope. Welcome, Penelope. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Always enjoy Thank having you. you. Ditto. Right uh, back um, at you. <laughs> <laughs> I also have um, another now. Uh, regular on, so I look forward to, to starting our discussion tonight, which is a special topic show. So, um, so we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma, and neglect. And we do so with two goals. One, by educating the public especially as it's related to helping society get over taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And you can find all of that stuff on NASCA.org. So, again, we are, well, tonight we are on scan number 3268. And um, I, as I was saying, this is a special topic night. So um, we usually just ask whoever's calling in to help us come up with something. If not, you know, if we don't have anybody come up with anything, then we just kind of come up with our own. So, um you can all access this one, this show just pretty soon after, I think within half an hour, Penelope says, of, of ending, and then just find our scan number, 3268. Or you can go on to NASCA.org and also search for that scan number and then listen to it any other time. So, um, yeah, I guess we can get 
started this evening. <laughs> Hello, Penelope. Hello, Kim. I think oh, we've got. I think we know who that is on the other line, don't we? Um, I think we have another caller here. I think we know who that is, though, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, I think it okay. is. Okay. I'll write that in. So what we had um, talked about in terms of topics, and this was just something that, it's, well, this has been on the top of my mind a lot, is just the concept of recovery um, in terms of being an adult survivor of child abuse and what recovery is, um, what it means, how at least is defined, um, I think by each of us maybe a little bit differently, but um, but I find just recovery just something that is an interesting topic and um, it, it evolved for me so I could define recovery and, you know, when I think of recovery, I define it in my own terms. Um, I, had, I have different modalities for recovery. Um, have a different experience, you know, with recovery, but I just think recovery as a topic um, is something that is just um, interesting, and I think we all have our own, um, if not definition, just um, process um, for recovery. So um, I just like the topic of recovery, and it's something that's, that it's, it's a big part of NASCA, um, and I, so I was just going to throw that out there tonight as a topic to discuss. Yeah, I didn't know if um, Lori that you brought on had had anything to say either, but we um, could, yeah, start with that sub- subject, and then it is Bob Eden, if he's on that other Oh, line. got it. Okay. Um, recovery. Am I on? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hey, recovery. Lori. Hey, how are you? <laughs> recovery is something that is going to take a lifetime. Um, you're going to go through so many stages that you're, you're just going to blow your mind. It's like kids, you know, in our, where we came from with our abuse, once they get out of the abusive environment is basically when they can really start their recovery because you're not near any anybody to further abuse you. And when you break out it's the first time, like as an adult, even in college, is still breaking out. You're going to find you get empowered. It's now my life. Before mommy and daddy told me everything to do, now it's my life I decide. And hopefully these people will decide that they need recovery time. They need to see uh, a mental health per, uh, person first because uh, they don't know what they have, but they're not feeling good from the abuse. And they need a diagnosis, and then they need to find a therapist. That could take a couple couple years, you know. You don't get one right all the time. And once you do that, they take you through the, the guts of it because you're still close in age to your childhood. And that could take you any any amount of time, but I would say at least the year you should give it a shot for. And then you got to find that your family now, who's uh, little, you don't have a couple of kids, how are you going to raise them being abused like I was? Do I have the tools? Are they going to help me in my recovery is the good answer. How do I want to treat them? Um, you have That's when that comes. And that's part of recovery, the next stage. Then you get hit with teenage years. 
so you still will be triggered as your kids go older um, to that next, and they call it a horrible stage for kids in that age there. You know, they want power, but they're just not yet old enough. But you're still having to go through it and recover from yours, and you're further away from first abuse, so that's a good thing. And then you'll do your life, you know, and uh, have either luck with it or you won't have luck with it, depending on if you pick the right partner, why you pick the partner, all of that kind of stuff. Some people really do have marriages from elementary school loves. So, I mean, anything is possible. So now you're into the recovery stage of feeling better. Because now you're watching that your kids are being treated differently than you were, and you're doing it right. You know, so you feel even more empowered. You know that you're going to be a good mother. That's This is the one you know, side of what I think recovery is. So that part is going to get done. And then you have the college years. A little hard on the wallet, but once those kids are out and you have alone time, you get to do whatever you want with it. And if you still want to go and further your recovery through therapy or just take on new kinds of uh I don't know, things to keep you busy thinking, but you're seeing yourself do something. Um, that's the stage you want to be at. So that's where I am now. Well, can I um, respond? For me, sure. Yeah. Well, to whoever's listening. Um, <laughs> well, first off, uh, good day, family, and it's a beautiful day here in the Whit Sundays. It's just after 10 a.m. in the morning. And um, for my journey, um, um, how can I put it? I feel that I'm totally recovered, and my recovery, my recovery was not complete until I was able to forgive my abusers. And by uh, healing the wounds of my childhood, and also doing the body work to get rid of all those trapped moments of terror that I experienced through my abusive childhood. Um, yeah, I've, how could I put it? I just, I've never felt so more alive, um, no longer carrying those burdens. Um, like the, oh, you know, uh, for me, um, my childhood abuse led to depression and then in society that's got a great big stigma oh you know he's got mental illness he's loony that's all. and I've moved right beyond that now and um, my mission to eradicate suicide is um, moving ahead leaps and bounds um, so I don't I don't agree that um, recovery is uh, a lifetime process um, and it all depends for me, we're all so sovereign, unique, and equal. So everybody's on a different journey, but all I can do is share from you know uh, my experience, and that's why I'm trying to spread my message that recovery is possible. I knew I couldn't change my past, but I had a feeling I could go back and heal it, so I did. And I'm just a simple bloke, and if I can do it, well, anybody can. And that's why I love forums like NASCA and NFTS and many other um, groups that I'm part of um, because it's a forum for people how can I put it I believe that everybody holds a piece of the puzzle and that sh simply by sharing our stories 
we help to heal each other. And um, yeah, so how can I put it? The biggest step, I suppose, uh, to begin my recovery was taking full responsibility for this life that I do create. So um, in 2005, uh, I took responsibility. I am master and commander of this life that I do create, and I take full responsibility for it. Um, and so now, you know, I can't point the finger at anybody because if anything goes a bit whoopsie in my life, well, you know, I have created that event because there is a lesson I need to learn from that event. So it's all about owning my life and knowing that I do create it. And for me, the kingdom of heaven resides in all of us, which basically means we're all God, you know. Um, and the question I pose a lot of people, which... Um, some people love and others hate me for <laughs> is if you are not creating your life who is you know so yeah and if anybody wants to know any more you know I'd, I'd gladly talk one-on-one -on -one or zoom or anything um, just to, to share our um, stories let's let's carry on healing each other hey okay I'll shut up now <laughs> oh, thank you Bob <laughs> No, we'd love to hear that. I always love hearing the perspective. It's, it's good. It's really good. And I think, this is Kim, um, I, I feel like it's taken me a long time to be able to get to a point where I can say, like you said, Bob, this is my life. This is what, you know, I've, I need to create. I am an adult now. And so many times as survivors, I think a lot of us, well, I do, I, mean, I, I know I do, um, my, my head will go back into that child space again because that's how we've been programmed. If something triggers us or whatever, you know, our, our emotions and kind of our reactions a lot of times will go down back to that child space. So recognizing that um, you're an adult and you've got to take on this and that you're going to make the situation better because you're an adult and you can do that now and you don't have to go back into that child state. I think it's just taken me a long time to get that into my 50s, <laughs> a really long time. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well, the 10 years after me, it took me to my 60s. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> However long it takes us, I think. Well, you know, Kim, it's Penelope, and actually, you know, I wanted to say a few words around, you know, what you just shared. And part of the reason that recovery is such an important topic for me personally is that, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm six years into my recovery. Um, I started, um, started recovery when I was 46, and um, I'm six years in. And all my life, you know, I was, I was very driven. I was in sales, and, you know, I had to meet a monthly quota. It's like if I worked really hard you know, I would meet my goals, I would accomplish them and be done, I'd move on to the next thing. So when I realized, you know, that recovery, that I needed to address certain things from my childhood that never been addressed, I approached it in that spirit. Well, you know, if I, if I uncover these things and tackle these things, work really hard, you know, go to therapy, that, you know, I'm going to heal myself, you know, it'll be quick, right? Just kind of like, it'll be transactional, get it done and move on. And what I realized is, 
for me, it wasn't the way it worked. And by thinking that, you know, if I just worked hard, I could expedite the process, um, actually became a very discouraging pattern for me. So one part of my, part of the process for me was realizing that um, recovery was a process that I was going to have to accept and realize that it was going to be ongoing for me for some time. Um, so for me, I found that to give myself that grace of time and to accept that it, it was a process was, was um, a big turning point for me. Um, so I was able to be, be a little bit more forgiving of my triggers and forgiving of, of, of the time that it would take and, and more willing to not give up. I think it was easy to get frustrated. So I just wanted to mention that about recovery in general. And one more thing I wanted to mention was for me, and Kim, you had said something like, you know, something happens and then I kind of like, you know, I've had these um, ways of dealing with things and I kind of, you know, triggers and I, I kind of go back to, to the reactions that I, you know, the way you would respond and you have, then you have to work through that, right? It's something that you're working through. I think that's, that's sort of on the gist of what you said. And yeah. there was, um, yeah, and there was a very, there's a very um, renowned um, psychiatrist, I think you might, you all may have heard of him, his name is Dr. Gabor Mate. He's done a lot of, of um, he's out there, he's pretty mainstream, he's done a lot of podcasts, a lot of books on healing from trauma. Um, he had, has had to experience his own trauma. And one of the things that he said that was profound to me was um, that, that really managing day-to-day, you know, is daily work. He calls it daily work, staying conscious of daily work. You know, the mind gets scattered. When I'm triggered, I get a little disintegrated. Or if, if a new stress, like my husband's diagnosis of cancer, right, a big traumatic life event, I notice that I will start to, again, you know, like you had mentioned, Kim, kind of revert to some of those um, coping mechanisms. Um, and so for me, you know, as life comes at me, I have to remember that, you know, staying conscious, um, staying my brain, not being scattered, but being integrated um, is daily work. Um, and it's something that I have to take that time and maybe it's self-care, maybe it's, you know, five minute, 10 minute meditation, maybe it's a walk, maybe it's yoga. But um, for me, that is part of the recovery process. It is daily work. So I like to just think of, you know, staying conscious is daily work. And um, it's my it's part of my life, and I've accepted that, and it's and it's my path. So I just wanted to really just wanted to add that to the discussion. Yeah, well, I agree yeah, with that um, that part about um, keeping busy um, and achieving goals and stuff. It's um, like the society um, we live in. Um, tends to measure us by how successful we are, you know, how, how far we uh, compete with each other and climb up the, the corporate ladder. And when you get to the top, you're all on your own. So, yeah, I was I used that modality for many, many years um, because that gave me a, a convenient excuse. No, I don't have the time to do the inner work. I don't have the time to do the inner work. Only because I was afraid of facing my demons. But it wasn't until the pain that I was suffering got to the point where I've had enough of this pain. I've got two choices. I either top myself or I make this 
healing this pain, my number one priority, and that's what I did. And you mentioned Gabor Mate. Now, his predecessor, like um, the grandfather of the inner child work, um, I came across John Bradshaw in the early 90s. And uh, my depression started in 84, so I was six months into taking antidepressants, then found John Bradshaw and his work on the um, healing the moods of childhood and healing the shame that binds you. Um, that guy saved my life, you know. So, but, uh, you know, that's it. That's it. And I, I, I cannot imagine, you know, I cannot imagine we're talking about childhood abuse and how childhood sexual abuse is global uh, or, you know, affects everybody. Yeah, I agree 99% with that. There may be still some tribal cultures left in the wilds of the Amazon or in the Philippines somewhere that still raise their children um, in a wholesome way. But um, maybe not everybody has suffered from childhood sexual abuse. But for me, the biggest common form of abuse I reckon that everybody has suffered from is abandonment. And by that, for me, defining abandonment is in our society today, our parents, and going back to the 50s, um, more and more our parents are spending less and less time uh, with their children, you know, and now kids are going to uh, preschool from the age of th uh, three, four, five years old. So that the, uh, when a baby's born, there's a physical connection to the mother, yeah, the umbilical cord, but there's also a spiritual connection to the mother. And and so that the cord is cut way too soon, actually, I feel, by the Western medical model. But that spiritual bond, that spiritual connection, gets broken when the child looks around for its parents and they're not there, you know, because they're, they're so busy um, trying to bring home the bacon, if you like. And that's why I reckon um, the the abandonment wound is almost universal in um, every culture except for um, the non-tribal, uh, the tribal cultures. If you go back to about, you know, say the 1500s or the 1400s, and you know, a child was born, mum and dad, and it's got, and they had big families because it. It was more hands to work the land. Um, but when the parents went out into the field, they took the baby with them. And then also they had an extended family, and the family were there supporting it. So the, the, the child wasn't only uh, nurtured and parented by its parents, it was nurtured and, and parented by the whole village. And that just doesn't happen anymore. Anyway, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but... Um, yeah, I'm, I know that it's doable, and I also know, looking globally, that more and more people are waking up and reclaiming their power, and it's all over. It's all over. You know, we will win. We will win this um, game and get rid of this um, sickness in our society. Okay. Sorry for going on. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. No, I, I no, I do agree with you because I felt 
same way. When my when I had my kids, I wanted to be there with them. I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was teaching them and I wasn't just sending them places to be taught. And that came, you know, from my childhood. Because my parents, well, my mom anyway, my mom was the main breadwinner in our family. And um, and then my dad was the abuser and he was the one that had most, time, most of the time with us. But um, I wanted you know, to be there with my kids. I wanted to take them to Sunday school. I wanted to take, be at their schools and do all of their activities. And I think that that did create a closer bond for sure. Um, but then I also see it being flipped again by, well, at least one of my daughters for sure. <laughs> but my, oh, no, and I see it with most of my daughters probably. They don't spend as much time teaching their kids, you know, what to do with their kids hear more no and not an explanation of what's going on, which I tried to do. I really tried to do that with my kids. So um, I understand. I mean, I, I think it is our responsibility, and it's also our responsibility to educate them in body safety. And um, if you're living with parents that are abusing you, you're not going to get that, <laughs> for sure. And, um, and I think that for me, the recovery then, like I said, it's taken me many, many years. And we were just talking. I'm, I'm in a book club, and I'm reading a book, um, a place a place called Home. I don't know if anybody has ever heard of that book before, but it's um, pretty intense, actually. <laughs> but it is, it's a, a story about a, a man who you know, as a child went through the foster through abusive home and through the foster system and um, you know, and talking about the whole disconnect and um and I'm in this group with a bunch of social workers and people who work for the child advocacy centers in Colorado and so we're just kind of, you know, trying to get together for a little bit more lighthearted book club, but then it ends up being this book so it goes into a lot of um, deep questions of, you know, what what could we do today differently than what was being done, for instance, when I was younger, and, um, you know, what can they do as social workers, as people that are dealing with these kids that are being abused, how can we make it better for them and get them the help they need quicker so that they can heal? and not have to deal with so many, you know, later on in life things. So um, it's brought on a lot of really good, I think, a really good topic, a lot of really good topics, even though it's a really heavy book. But, um, yeah. But I get talking in circles, too, Bob. I know how that goes. <laughs> I get talking. <laughs> But, uh, and yeah, I, I can think interrupt that. with something. I love what you're saying. I honestly do. Um, but I wanted to add in this conversation that today's kids um, have also taken on not just the loss of the parents because they have to work, but they've been like the, the I don't know what you call them, workhorses of all the things that have to do inside the house to keep the home running. This is what mom used to do. So kids... Where they're, you know, wherever they get in their abuse, still have to 
go through their day, do their what they call chores, but it's actual um, they're running the house at this point, and they get overworked. They're not involved enough um, with friends, even with the opportunity to, to go with friends. They're told they gotta go to school, immediately come home, eat, do your homework, and then you're gonna do this, this, and this in the house because it needs to be done and I'm working and I'm tired and I'm, you know, I'm sorry you're 10 years old, but it's time now we learn the stove and this is how you do the laundry and the ironing and all the major um, parental stuff that was done way, way back. And we haven't seen those days in a long time. So the actual quality of uh, parent to child say in an almost normal family at least it went in together it you have to deduct all that time and then remember they have homework on, on top of it after everything and what do you end up actually spending quality time with your parent or parents doing I mean you just like meet them in the hallway or the living room and say hi and bye do you you know, stop them, tell them you love them, ask them maybe you can read them together, color a page. That kind of quality of time has to be now on a quicker basis because the time is taken up between work. So certain board games that take a long time, you can't. But you can muster up like a card game to play with the kids just like even once. These kids will appreciate it. And they need to be kids. So... Once you have that going, if if and when, of course, you know, they get abused and whatnot, they're going to be apt to come to you anyway because they'll notice that the time that you're at home, you're just not sitting on the couch by yourself. You're actually interacting with your kids. It comes out to like once a day because Saturday everybody runs around. You know, work week one day, and I don't, I don't believe in that, so I'm glad I'm kind of getting on in years because I think kids need time. I think you need time with the kids because you have these kids. You want to be there when they experience every moment of their, you know, really their life from when they turn over as an infant to when they're, like, going on their first date. You know, and that's why the kids, they're not like key kids anymore. They go out onto the streets. Um any which way they can. They don't even go, like, through windows. That's why you always see them hanging out around there. And there's not much you can do on your own if you're not there. But in a neighborhood, say the kids are playing basketball in the park, um, maybe one of the houses who has other kids can wander on over, just check on the kids, you know, basically left alone on the streets. You know, do it as a community, you know, who know which kid goes where, who's supposed to be, you know, going there, why is that car following that kid, how many times this week did I see that car? You know, it's a community, a village type thing to actually raise a kid. So these are such precious gifts and this is the way we want to do it. I don't understand how people can turn around and then abuse these precious gifts. You know, so everything that's already out there agency-wise is overtaxed. So it comes down to either somebody says something to the family, just it could even be a neighbor or a friend, or dial that, that you know, 1-800-for-a-child number. Don't even have to leave your name. There's ways to get, you know, help out 
and then just step out. Maybe walk down the block and maybe to kill a walk with you and you take a walk back. There's like different puzzle pieces that in your brain you're going to remember. I hope that children do remember more good than bad. You know, it can be pushed over the brink. And, you know, when you hear a kid wants to commit suicide at 12 years old because of the life their parents were set out for him or her, you know, that's heartbreaking. You know, it's totally heartbreaking. So, you know, we have to, like, communicate more, keep working, keep spreading the word. Yeah, and um, talking about chores, um, just thinking back to my childhood, I had a list of chores, um, and in our family, there was my stepbrother, Klaus, who was born in Germany, he was eight years older, but, uh, and then my younger brother, Francis, or Franny, came along um, when I was four, he was four years younger than me, but my chores as a child were, I had to pluck the chickens or pluck the pheasants that dad um, shot in the forest. Um, what else did I do? I had to bleach mum's hair with a hydrogen peroxide, and I hated that because it burnt my fingers. I had to clean out all the fires, fireplaces in the house, and set them up to be lit in the evening. Um, um, yeah, and by the time I was nine, I could darn my own socks, and I knew how to cook for myself. I could cook for me. Um, because mum wasn't much into cooking, uh, yeah. But, um, so, yeah, chores, chores aren't, you know, a new thing for me. And also the, the families that I visited that had, say, there's 10 kids in the family, and those, those families, I spent some time, like, with my aunt down in the West Country, and her aunt, aunt Josie, and... Their family worked like clockwork because all of the, the kids had different activities to do, you know. So they all contributed to running the household. But they, you know, they weren't they weren't spending six hours a day, uh, you know, staring at their phone or playing computer games. Um, it was a, a case of many hands make light work. Yeah. So it's funny, and I can understand the pressure on youngsters nowadays because what I have noticed just since you know during my own life um, the amount of personal freedoms that we have are being eroded more and more and more and more um, and so how can you put it the cage that children are living in and trying to grow up in is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller now what happens when you put a free spirit, like a wild animal, you know, a, a creature of God, in a cage. What happens? It goes, it goes loopy, do lally, loses the plot, doesn't it? And so, that's why I can see the the increase in depression um, because we are living in a society um, where we have less and less uh, human rights, even the the right to freedom of speech and for me there's only one law and that's do no harm and I've only got one right and that's the right of self-determination but um, 
Yeah, I wasn't powerful enough as a child to stand up for myself and stop the abuse then, but now as an adult, I am, and I have. Okay, <laughs> uh, once again, I'll shut up. <laughs> i got to tell you, Ken, you don't have to shut up. We love listening to you. I agree with that, you guys. I agree. Well, I think that's part of why, you know, as hard as recovery has been, I'm I'm doing it because I'm doing it for myself, but I'm really doing it for my children as well. And I know I wasn't a perfect parent. I had patterns that I was carrying that I wasn't even aware of, you know, until I started my recovery. And I'm doing it for myself, but I'm doing it as much for them. Because I definitely want to take the opportunity while I can to correct some of the things and, you know, um, interrupt some of the patterns. And I'm hoping that even though my kids are all in college now, that some of that work will benefit them and in their own parenting and their own families. I think the best, you know, the best thing that I've done in the process is just become very humble to be open to, you know, discovering um, some of the things that I didn't want to speak of, discovering that, you know, memories that I had um, pushed down and didn't want to bring back up, and being curious about my own reactions and things that I did to survive and um, to kind of look at the puzzle pieces, if you will, um, and to um, address them um, and to, to hopefully, you know, make a different path that's, um, you know, that's a better, well, it's been a better one for me. Um, and it's not been easy, but along the way uh, there have been struggles, but there's also been things that, I can see from my own work that my, my children are observing and things that, that are they're benefiting from. I've seen it firsthand. So in terms of the recovery, even though there are different times I just wanted to take a big, big shot break because um, uh, some of the memories were just so painful. You know, I persevered. Um, so, you know, talking about our kids today, that is, I mean, that is for me a big part of the recovery because um, I definitely don't want any of this cycle to continue on, you know, if there's something that I can do about it. And that's something that I, I believe is recovery and just doing the work and continue to do the work. Yeah, good on you, darling. What, yeah. what you shared just sparked a memory. One of the most pivotal uh, points in my own recovery, and this is um, about 92, 93, um, doing the inner child work, and I got to this state where, God, I hate you, Mum. I bloody hate you. You're always beating me. Why are you doing that? You know. So, I, but you've got to love you, Mum, because you've only got one Mum. And it was that dichotomy that was tearing my soul apart. And so, I wrote a letter to Mum telling her how I felt as a child growing up in our family, and that you know, it's it was it's really hard. But I just signed it off. Mum, this is not about blame. I'm just telling you my story. Um, and it was, you know, it was pages and pages and pages. <laughs> and I posted that letter to Mum. And eventually she wrote back and she told me her story about she was born in Germany between the wars. Her dad was an alcoholic and Mum was a control freak. Her cousins were in the SS, so they were shot. And then the light bulb went off. Yes, Mum was doing her very, very best. But all she could do was dump on me what got dumped on her. 
And so with that understanding, I could move from hate through understanding back to love. And so I, I phoned her just after I got the letter and she was back in hospital um, for the second instance of bowel cancer. And that's the first time we spoke as mother, mother and son, you know. We were both crying our eyes out. And then three days later, she died. And I thought, what a beautiful closure. But about five years after that, I contacted a spiritual medium because, I, you know, I, I wanted to see how mum was going. And this medium told me stuff that only mum and I knew. So I knew she was genuine, you know. And the message I got from mum was, Bobby, 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 thank you so much for writing that letter because I am now doing safe work with my own parents in the beyond. And that blew me away. But it was through that process that I broke my own multi-generational cycle of abuse. And if I could do it, well, anyone can. Part of recovery for me was, was writing those letters, like you just mentioned, having those conversations with parents having those never been spoken before, you know, here's some things that I need to share with you from my childhood that were really difficult. You know, here's how they affected me. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I had forgiveness in my letters. I let them know I was going to be okay, you know, and that I loved them. But I, but I, for me, part of recovery was I was carrying all those things that they had been done to me Um and the guilt and the shame, and those that wasn't mine to carry. And there's something there was something powerful about giving it back to the person who should be carrying it. I you shouldn't shouldn't have to carry the sins of my parents. I've got my own to, I've got my own to carry, and those are theirs to own. Um, I have to own the recovery from them. I totally own that, but I I didn't need to to carry carry it with me. They needed a truth and they needed to get it back. And I did it in a loving way. But that was a big part of recovery. And it took a lot of courage for me. I, I felt I was scared. But I also knew it was an important step. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think I, I still have work to do. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like I think I've been a little bit stifled on my recovery because I continue to stay in that place of kind of toxic abuse and not realizing it necessarily, but um, with my husband, and then also not setting boundaries with my dad, which I am doing both of those now. I'm setting those boundaries with both of those men. But I think that just stunts, you know, and, and not not allow me to get to the recovery level that I need to up until now. And I'm excited, even though, like you said, you guys all said, it's, it's a lot of work. It's not fun, but it's something that needs to be done, and I think maybe that's what it is. A sign of me maturing and being able to take on that memory and 
say, no, that wasn't right, instead of saying, oh, well, this happened. Oh, well, this was going on. You know, not always making excuses for that. So I'm still in that space where I haven't completely confronted my husband more than even my dad. And I know that that is another step that I need to do. Because I've told him something. I mean, you know, we've talked about some things even since my mom has been passed away. And I definitely feel like there was more of an apology and sincereness to that at that time. But then there's also many times, and right now is one of them, when I feel like as a father, if he really wanted to step up and show that he is trying to do the work, which I know he isn't because he doesn't do that, (laughs) But if he wanted to, then he could come alongside me right now and say, Kim, I understand you're going through a lot. And, you know, be there to try and support me at this time. And I'm coming to the realization that certain people in my life can't do that. They're just not going to do that. And so that's why I started setting those boundaries. It's taken me a long time to get that. Because I just wanted to trust everybody. And I always well, I think it's a, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I think it's really hard. I think it's a big part of recovery is to set boundaries with, especially you know all the you know players that have been in the family of origin. I think it's it's really hard to to me. It's like changing the dialogue completely. You know, it's really hard to change the dialogue when you've been speaking a certain you know a certain way. And and so change you know setting boundaries is changing the dialogue. And I, I think that is a big part of recovery. I think it's really. Um, um, a very active part of recovery, um, and I, you know, we can only control ourselves, right? We can only we can only control the boundaries that we decide to make, and the fact that we decide to implement them. Um, we can't control, you know, the reactions of those who um, are presented with our boundaries, um, and those are hard. That those are where you know where the change back reactions come from, and I'm sure you all know what that is, where. You know, you've changed, and then you get a you get a reaction from someone that is doesn't like it. You know, and they do everything they can to get you to change back to the way you were. Um, and I've had a, that was part of my recovery. You know, is that is part of recovery is learning how to deal with those, you know, those change back reactions. You have to stand firm, and you have to stand in your boundaries, and it's not it's not easy at all. Um, I always had to remind myself that a change back reaction and someone reacting poorly to my boundaries or, or heightened reaction was actually for me proof that I was doing the work because there was change involved. Um, and that's what you're doing, Kim. I mean, you're doing it and there is, you're, you are getting pushed back. You know, I think you are, from what I can understand what you just said is, you know, it, it's, but you're doing it. I, I, I think, I think even though we don't, if we feel it's hard or we're not making the progress you want to see, I, I, you know, I think you always have to give yourself credit for what you are doing, and you're doing a lot. Thank you, Penelope. I appreciate that. I, think, I do. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, it's not something we tend to dis- discredit our our own, you know, efforts sometimes in, in recovery. Um, that's all I wanted to say. Is is I think. It doesn't need to be, you know, move, you know, lassoing the moon and moving it from point A to point B. I think sometimes they can be baby steps, but that doesn't mean they're not significant. 
So even my a lot of this. So I got a perfect goes within the family. Is what you're saying? And I am so sorry to interrupt, but I knew I would forget this thought. You, I, I have memory problems. <laughs> Go ahead. So this is. <laughs> I can't help it. I just have bad things happening. Child abuse. It, it, it follows. It haunts me. I'm 65, and I'm still have senses and whatnot. What you just last said, um, is that's for real then. As you explained an aspect I didn't think of, because when I was doing, you know, my what I had to do to get away from all of that stuff, I had actually left the entire family. I had no boundaries to set because I wouldn't let anyone in. I had to go to... You know, the last resort, because my family was violent, and um, my brother almost killed me a couple of times, and I didn't want my son involved in anything like that. I didn't want him to know those people. So when he was born and whatnot, I was like, that's it, goodbye. And I left them all. So they've had lives. You know, they stayed together pretty much. Uh, we didn't, of course, didn't like to uh, the way I came out with the story. Um, my book, I actually stuck on Facebook. I didn't want to go through the whole process of stuff. I'd rather make happy things with the kids, you know. I'm a visual. So I throw myself into into this, and what recovery also it means is that you're actually doing something that you like, to do in between the work. That's what it comes to. And I have stations set up in this room for exactly what part is going to come back at me. Um, Some I don't know will come back at me. But I go to these stations with all my different artwork and thread work and whatnot, depending on how hard I get hit. So I have a safety net for me when that comes up. So the best I could do... Um, I don't know how much longer, but it worked for me up to 65. You know, I don't know what's going to work for me next year. You know, it's going to change, always change. And the way you change with this is you talk. And talking helps. Um, and I think that I think they can. Well, everybody's doing like a really good job. So we are recovering for tonight. At least for tonight, we go somewhere else. That's what recovery is about. We move forward. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. You're welcome. I think that you're right. That's what recovery is about, is continuing to find out more and more about yourself and what makes you tick. And I just remember the, the first time that I heard about the ACEs study, for instance, was a really eye-opening moment for me because it was like, that makes sense to me. It makes sense that I struggle with certain things and I didn't get that before. And I think that the ACEs study just kind of all put it into really good perspective for me to start to understand that I'm normal for everything that I've been through throughout my life. But um, I'm also doing the best that I can because I am continuing to grow and learn and want to find out more about myself. And I'm not just sticking in the therapist that 
just constantly validates me and says, yeah, 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 not. I mean, I it's actually at this right now in my life, this, this time frame, I've been seeing a couple different therapists. So I do have one therapist that I, I talk to that I just kind of vent to, and that's kind of what I need. And then I have another therapist that's really the equine therapy that I've talked about on here that is really digging deep into those emotional wounds and those scars that need to be healed that I haven't worked that deeply on. So I kind of need both of those, and I think that that it's been a nice balance for me recently. I've recognized that. And I've never done that before, though. I've never had both I think of those it's clever. things going on. Yeah, I, I do, too. I'm like, now that I'm doing it, I'm like, wow, this is really helping me more than I thought because I don't have that person, you know, I don't have my, my spouse who's there to listen to me vent. I can't do that. And so I kind of need that person as well. And then I've also got support groups, you know. So there's, I've got a support group that's got a couple other ladies that are going through the exact same thing and, um in different areas, and so I think that's been really helpful. So maybe even the maturity to know that it's not just going to be one thing. I think that when I was younger, I did think if I just go to therapy for a while, you know, for maybe six months or something, then everything will be fine. I'll be fixed. And um, now I say I'll probably be on therapy all my life. (laughs) I'll probably do some kind of therapy all my life. Because I think that that's a realistic thing to think about in my, you know, where I am and where I am. So it's not bad. It's not a bad thing. I've been made to feel it was a bad thing throughout the years, but it's not. So realizing that is so much better. It's growing us up. I just don't know who can live in this world these days and not have some sort of therapy or help. I mean, navigating our world. Um, although I think as an adult survivor's child abuse, you know, I do have the same needs, Kim, and I think I, I always will. But I, I mean, I look at our world today and I look at our COVID and one of our, what our kids have been through. And I think, wow, there's a lot of things that, you know, we don't, we were not prepared to navigate on our own. Um, so I think I, my biggest part of recovery, I guess, getting back to recovery thought is, that, as I mentioned before, you know, being humble and realizing this is the help, like what you just said, this is, I will need, I will need this help. You know, I will need this guidance. I will need to do this work um, probably lifelong. Um, and, um, that's part of me also not repeating patterns because I realized this week I looked back at, you know, my parents um, who are my abusers and, and they, they refused to go to therapy. They never went to therapy. Um, my father would um, denigrate anybody who went to therapy or it was also part of the deliberate denigration, you know, of the verbal abuse. Oh, you know, you, you just need to see a shrink. You know, you're not allowed to have your emotions. But I think about it, I think, well, you know, they should they should have gone to therapy. They should have they should have addressed um, what had happened to them so that they didn't repeat those patterns with us. Um, but they didn't. Um, so um, 
it's another reason I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like my parents. I don't want to repeat those patterns. So um, I also view therapy as a recovery as a privilege. It's a privilege. And I'm grateful. Well, for me, um, yeah. lovely sharing. Um, for me, recovery is a personal choice. Um, and it goes back again to taking full responsibility for, for your life. Now, that choice I made, um, you know, I either top myself or I look at this pain and, and, and do the work. So, yeah, it, it, it all comes down to just, for me, just taking personal responsibility for it. And um, from my Sue principle, one sovereign, unique and equal, um, and everything else just flows from that. Like, everybody's on their own journey. And they're all going to be different. So the only thing that I have of any value is just my own life story, you know, which is why I never give opinions and I never give advice. All I can do is just share what I've experienced, what my challenges were and how I got through them and how I felt afterwards. And one of the biggest realizations was after wasting 20 years employing my amazing intellect to try and think my way out of this depression that came out of my childhood abuse. I wasted 20 years trying to think my way out and suddenly realized that I couldn't, the only way I could do it, but I had to feel my way out. And so um, taking antidepressants, you know, for that length of time was, well, I was just following the Western medical model. But one of the things I realized about antidepressants, every different antidepressant I took turned me into another person I didn't like. But one commonality with all the antidepressants were they detached me from my feelings. And that was a realization that these, these antidepressants are actually a barrier to me to get to my feelings where healing can occur and so I had to um, uh, get off antidepressants now, I, I do feel there's a place for antidepressants like in the first two weeks after I had my panic attack and my body was just like thrashing around you know um, out of control yeah two weeks not 20 25 years and I realized that the emotions I was feeling at that time of the first panic attack, they were so powerful. I really, really, that's what frightened me was the power of the feelings I was having. But in hindsight, the power of those feelings was, is just a measure of how powerful I am as a human spiritual being. So there's nothing to be afraid of. And I don't know anybody that's died from feeling, but, I reckon lots and lots of people die from not feeling. Um, you know, for me, feelings are feelings are healings. You know. That's good wow. wisdom. Good wisdom. Yeah. Well, it's 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 like it's like you know, I'm not I'm not only so, um, done like the spiritual research and the work and the the sort of uh, mindset stuff but 
on the technical side, it's just so obvious. Um, what, uh, for me, one definition of an insanity would be um, how can anyone possibly believe that by putting a toxin, a chemical, a petrochemical into your body, it's going to heal you in any way? You know, it's just, it's, that, that for me is insanity. You know, it's weird. And yet we surround ourselves and ingest many toxins. You know, look, look at our food that's covered in Roundup and, and all that sort of glyphosate and um, fluoride in the water. And, you know, <laughs> come on, people, wake up. We're in a system that seems to like poisoning us. <laughs> all right, I'll shut up again. <laughs> no, you're right. My son believes the exact same thing. And everything you said is exactly... Um, of course, we have the wonderful accent you have, <laughs> what he believes. So he. he I don't have an accent. <laughs> yeah, they all do that. We all have the accent. He just got to get split with it. I can't help it. Answer me this question. Answer me this question. If antidepressants were effective, why are suicide rates rising? And oh. if you do if you do the research, the the growth rate in suicide matches the growth rate of sales of antidepressants. It's a no brainer. Hey. <laughs> the first thing a doctor is going to do. I have to say Sorry, I have to say disclaimer here that this is the opinion of Bobby Eden and not the opinion of NASCA. As you know, we're speaking from our own experience, so this is just not the position of NASCA. I just have to say that for those of you listening. So, you can continue. Oh, yeah, those pills, I mean, the antidepressants and whatnot, they're the go-to meds and they happen for a while with kids um, that come out of it. There's just so many of them. Um, my best friend's husband's a doctor, so I know all this kind of stuff. And um, the longer this happens, the more they're, tr- they're pushing drugs. It's a multi-million dollar industry, and who best to put it on? First, it was like not to be treated for a kid over the age, say, I don't know, somewhere around 12. It wasn't tested, and now little kids they got tested and stuff. That that's a money maker. All these pills. That's what it is. I mean, there is something wrong in the brain chemistry that, um, I mean, if you're not abused and beaten, that you are born depressed, that something going on in your brain, but that is still old school. They're using those same pills that work. So, And a lot of parents do not have the time and they do not have the strength to work with their kids on the subjects that need to be, which they probably caused, any which way. And all these kids, all this next generation, and it's been like this at least two generations from when I was, the more open it is, um, one kid gets it, the next kid gets it, they find the doctor, they all go to the same doctor, they all get treated, they get hooked, and they turn into little road rats is what we call them, the non-functioning society of kids. And it's because the parents are not doing it right. 
they're not doing it right. They're not doing what children need. They are. They toss them around. They they murder them. They do every kind of thing to these poor little helpless human beings that everybody's so excited to say, "Oh, I'm pregnant now. Let's go plan a name and whatnot." They're excited at that part, but when they turn say toddler age and you see the personality come out of them and you know who they're forming into, then they become brats to, to parents. And usually that's about the time they go into daycare anyway. And so it's the, you see more because of the amount of kids, there's more, the population is more, and it's the easy way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, we've wanted our kids to grow. You know, not only do kids always say, I can't wait till I get older, but I think parents have been wanting that for so long. I personally love that preschool age. I think that's the best age because I feel like you can kind of see their little minds just working, picking away in there and, you know, trying to figure things out. And that's, yes, when they start to get sassy, probably more than three than two. I've got two three-year-old grandbabies, but... They're pretty sassy, um, but, but that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be curious and trying to learn things. So if we're, uh, Lori, if we're, you know, stuffing them and saying, no, don't bother us right now. Don't, you know, ask us questions. That's ridiculous. That's stupid, which is a lot of what I heard uh, growing up as well. So I tried not to be that way, but I think. People, you know, I think people get caught up in parenting, and so I know I was a, a perfect parent, but I know I did try and change some of those. Well, good on you, oh, darling. I, I'd just like to make one last comment, but I've got to go. Um, but for me, um, looking at the Western medical model and researching um psychiatry and psychology, no psychiatrist has ever claimed to have ever cured anybody. And one, they can't because they're only dealing with the mind. And for me, depression is more like a wound in the soul. Um, But also they they wouldn't if they could because there is no long-term profit in curing people. You know, dead people, there's no long-term profit. Healing people, there's no long-term profit. But keeping them on the, the financial treadmill and having to take the pills, um, there's a lot of money in it. And it's not a multi-million dollar business. It's a multi-billion dollar business. And the last figures I got from the World Health Organization about depression, and there's a survey they did in 2019, they reckon that there were 280 million people suffering from depression. Now, it's... And I reckon um, it's quite possible that here we are four years down the track, that figure is closer to 500 million million people on the planet suffering from depression. Now, that's what I call a pandemic. You know, 500 million in 8 billion is a very high percentage of our our population. But anyway, for me, it's, it's conversations like this that are breaking the old paradigm, that are realizing that there are no sacred cows, and people just sharing their hearts, um, sharing their truth. And we've won. We've won. You know, it's... 
we're on the winning team. So thank you, ladies. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's always nice a pleasure. Meeting you, Ken. Definitely nice meeting you. <clears throat> mm-hmm. See you next yeah, time. Yeah, I think. Thank you, Bob. Although I do have to say, I'm just going to call you on on one thing before you go. Okay. You never stay till the end of the show. <laughs> Is he gone? I didn't even see if he's left already. He's gone. He's gone. He didn't, well, he didn't want me. He didn't want me to call him out. I'm like, you're always late before the end of the show. Okay. But <laughs> I always like to hear that. For some reason, I keep losing the, the board, but I, I'm trying to multitask. Yeah, I think that's been I a really good. I've been calling him the real name, his real name. I was Bob. hearing it, and yeah, I was calling him the wrong name. I read something different. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, that's okay. no, that's yeah, that's Bobby Eden. He's in, from Australia. He's in just called in. Yeah, so are the so this is, in you're talking. Mind. This is Kim. Yeah, yeah, I'm Kim. In my mind, I invert <laughs> letters. That's why I did it. I'm dyslexic. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. No, I think it's. But I'm glad he comes back. That's nice. I'll apologize later. <laughs> oh yeah, he'll be back. <laughs> he'll be back at some point. He's really good about bringing topics on too. If we don't have them, I'll just get on Facebook. Yeah, he sounds like he's been through it. Yeah, he's been through it. Yeah. It's good to hear a guy's talking too. It's really never. Yeah. It's not never, but I think we need more guys telling their stories. You know, let them. Why should they have to carry it to the rest of their lives? You know, give them a forum, let them talk. Well, yeah, I well, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, what did you think? I mean, is it fair to a child that you know they do all the work around and it's like commonplace? I mean, is it normal society these days? I don't know or, if I would say to make children do, like, okay. I mean, I didn't make my kids do a whole lot. I wanted them to be kids. That was my mindset, mindset going into having children. I probably Good. should have made them do a few more things, though, just to build that responsibility. I mean, they've all grown up to be really good kids, so, I mean, you know, really good adults wasn't very responsible, but I could see where I could have done a little bit more of that and not taking it all on myself because it did put a lot of stress on me, and um, they could have been learning some of that responsibility in time. But yeah. I see now my daughter, like I said, my daughter, who now has a sixth grader who's, who went to a, who's going to a different school this year, her school is about a mile away, and she is sending her off to school, walking with her friend, one other little girl in the morning, and that bothers me. No, because what? I wouldn't have let them do that as a sixth grade. No. That's, that's home not good. How, how old is she? Well, she's a, oh, she just turned 11. That's true. So, yeah, she's not, she's not, Why she's would they? I mean, yeah. That, yeah, but that's both easy of her parents work. That's what I tell her. And so I tell her things like, because she goes, she doesn't live very far from me. But I've told her many times, I said, if you, like, if your friend isn't able to walk home with you, call me. 
if you're, you know, if you're not feeling safe somewhere, give me a call. One day her and her friend, it wasn't, it was during the summer, they came over to the pool, which was in my neighborhood, and decided to leave the pool to come to my house, but they didn't know how to get to my house, and neither one of them had a phone, and neither one of them, you know, knew what they were doing. So <laughs> then my granddaughter got a phone, which I wouldn't have advocated for, but I do advocate for it because they're making her walk a mile to school, you know, back and forth every day. So it is probably a good thing that she has a phone. But I don't know. Why is that? Why was was it because I they felt maybe I was too controlling or too Yeah. Kids they have their own little world. The kids they have their own little internet world is what it comes down to. Um and they need it. No, my honestly, daughter. Yeah. They honestly feel that parents are in a different time warp. You know, like they don't know anything or they don't know enough. And they can count better on their friends. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, they I want to do what they want to do. Well, by 36, she takes some advice from me. That's all. <laughs> hey, it took my Thank son 40 you. years to say, Thank you, Mom, for all you're doing for me. I was like, You're going to give me a um, wash on the floors? No. <laughs> no, but thanks. Just, just acknowledge that you did it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I. I you know, don't call out my daughter. I don't want to do that quite a bit. But I, and I love her very much. But we do have different thoughts on, on raising the kids. And I uh, also know that I don't have an opinion because I'm just grandma. You're not I'm not mommy. in that position to have anything. So I'm not mom or daddy. So well, that's been a right? And then they'll, they'll do fine. And you be there when you can. Your grandma stuff with them, the kids will be fine. That's all they need. And I have a good relationship with them too. So I've I've worked on that, and that was you know very a very conscious effort on my part to have a good relationship with my grandkids. And um, I see a lot of grandmas doing that these days. They're stepping up. It's like they know. You know what's going on. Mitchell to work, so they take on the grandkids. That's commonplace. And then what happens with grandma? She really not uh, penetrate. She's just tired, <laughs> and the kids yep. have all this energy, and they they think they're up all these little things they're gonna do, and they go, "Grandma's not gonna know about it," and you know, all that kind of stuff. So it just goes in a cycle. Believe me, you'll have grandkids, and your kids will understand why you do what you do. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! I'm talking about my grandkids. My grandkids. Okay, they'll are... have kids. Yeah, you'll have. Yeah, <laughs> maybe my great grandkids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somebody yeah, will no, say, "Oh, I love you." That's what it is. As long as they know you love them, they love you. And they that's, yeah, that's what's exactly. important. And I have to build that relationship. So yeah, it's important. It's important to me. I had my granddaughter. You now I watched her full time from the time she was born until she went to school. So I I did have that with her. But then at one point, my daughter felt like I was maybe, you know voicing my opinion too much. So it was what she felt was a boundary to take her kids out of my care because she didn't like what I was saying. And, you know, again, it, it was just this conflict that we had. But 
Um, it doesn't mean that you still pay attention These and things, watch out for my grandkids. So, yeah. As you recover and stuff and repair and do all that stuff, conflicts are going to come up. That's just natural. You know, it's going to happen either way, whether whatever it's about. I mean, it's just going to come up. So all you do is you get yourself um, through it and then pass it the best you can, and then you move forward. You know, you're on to something else. That's healthy. Yeah. You know? I keep, keep trying to grow and learn and cover something else. Well, you know, sometimes some of the rules and opinions that I have now towards my own parenting or, you know, about my children and some of their, when they come to me for advice, are it's part of my recovery because it's not something that I was exposed to, um, but I wanted to be, right? So I'm able to kind of rewrite my own childhood by, you know, doing things the way that I wish they'd been done, you know, kind of righting all the wrongs by um, going, you know, voicing my opinion and doing things differently. But I do think, you know, for what it's worth, whether our kids want to listen or not, we're, our efforts are to give them a different experience than what we had, at least mine are. Right. Even though they may not realize that because they don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know there's a it's difference. It's great to hear that you have kids and grandkids and all of that. I mean, they're worrying about all that, but you got a lot of love hanging around there. You know, my family stuff. <laughs> I've got one son. <laughs> That's it. One son. He told me I'll never have grandparents. So I love listening to stories of other people with their, their no. kids and their grandkids. Well, you never know. You know, men can have babies forever, so you just know. Yeah, he, he honestly doesn't like them. He's been saying this since he was a kid he's not having. He's 40 now. Oh, really? There are going to be no no grandkids. Yeah, no. Then you can adopt, yeah. I'll bet there's plenty of um, families around that would love for you to adopt. Yeah, well, I adopt little kids, you know. I do crafts with them, you know, youth program kind of stuff and whatnot. So uh-huh. I have, like, you know. It's just a different kind of family. It doesn't have to be blood. Yeah, also there it works. <laughs> right now, I'm living on a mountain, which is a dream. So <laughs> I can't complain. Nice. Are you? Do you live by yourself? I know. You- um, I have a, a husband. We're like not divorced, but we live separately in the house. Um, I searched 3,400 houses for this one. I've got, like, two living rooms in it. One's his, one's mine. Uh, two bedrooms. Well, there's actually three bedrooms on this floor. And then the hole downstairs, which is gigantic, is my son's area. So he's always up here. Yeah. <laughs> oh. The idea was for you to stay away. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just the three of us. Yeah, yeah I don't know. How long have you done that? How long have you lived separate lives? Oh, my God, years and years and years ago. The reason I couldn't leave is because my son's handicapped, and the way the only way I could keep him home was to have a home for him. And my husband earned the money. I took care of him along with a whole bunch of professional people, and it was just not 
in our best interest to separate. My son would have gone nuts with that. So he wants us together. So I just sep- I loosened everything up. We all have our own space here. So whatever his together is, it's a little off, but we live in Pennsylvania, so we don't care. <laughs> it's better than New York. I'm satisfied. I'll deal with the wind all the winter and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we live, I live 65 years in New York. Oh, my God. I'm so thankful I oh, escaped. Gosh. I can't yeah. imagine. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired of Colorado. Oh, uh, you in Colorado, too. That used to be one of the best places to move. Colorado. Yeah. Everybody wanted to move there. It got overcrowded, right? And yeah, I Texas. Yeah, where do we, there's so many people, and they're, they're just bringing in so many people. North New York actually shut down um, the amount of immigrants they're bringing in because there's too many people here, there. I'm not here. Um, it's overflowing with um, illegals, foreigners. I mean, it's a mess. People on the street, there's homeless. These poor little kids are just running around. They don't even have food. They don't speak the language. There's no doctors. There's no housing. It's horrible in New York. And the crime rate is unbelievably high. I mean, I lived on a corner, and both of my streets, two houses away, one family's father got murdered, and the other family's son got murdered. My son found a gun on the street last year. I said, we're getting out of here. I says, we'll put you on the end of a mountain because he needs a, he has that hearing problem. So I stuck him on the end of a mountain. My job is done. <laughs> now you can just enjoy the the peace of the mountain, right? <laughs> yeah, I think they, I think it went really well. I think it. Uh, I, I enjoyed. I'm telling you, I really did love his accent. <laughs> I collect Bob, yeah. <laughs> the subject matter got out there. I mean, this is about educating uh, anyone listening along with a few jokes because, you know, it's a really bad thing that we're talking about. So um, survivors also, we hope one day, will be able to sit there and laugh too a little bit and get past all the hard work. I mean, there's millions of places. You go onto their website on Asker, you can get anything you want, any kind of information, any program, any contact. And that website is just full of information. So anybody um, around the clock, you know, they have contact numbers where you can call at night. And you'll get help. You know, you'll get help. I help so many people. There's so many shows. There's just so much of everything. And we got we got the tonight's host and co-host. I mean, this is a, a good, this is what I call a good show. It's relaxed. It's informative. So keep coming back to NASCA is what I would say at the end of this. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. a little, that was lovely. Yeah. Break. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to have anything to say before we close out Penelope? No, I, I mean, excuse me. I just, I agree with Lori. It's been a relaxed show. It's been a great show. We, you know, obviously have a lot of different personal experiences and, and, and testimonies and opinions about what works and what doesn't work. And that's what, you know, this is all about. But I think, you know, we come together and because we have different experiences and we share them, you know, this is the information that we're providing to our, 
you know, membership. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's just part of the reason I love NASA because it's, that's a resource for me is, is doing shows like this. So I'm with Lori and, and thank you, Tim. It's a great show tonight. Really. Oh, thank you. Thank you all. It, it takes all of us. <laughs> I think all of us can make it happen. Right. Yeah, I'm here with you. Yeah, so I definitely. That, um, oh, sorry. This one that was Philip, the one that gives a, a drop call there. Sometimes she does that. Um, Philip, no. No, Philip wasn't on tonight. I think he was on last night, though. Okay. Yeah, I heard Bobby. he actually talked. He actually talked. Yeah. I was very, very happy. I was like, fine, yeah. something. <laughs> I'm with you. I think that it's really good, especially especially with younger guys like Philip are talking. So I love. He, it's been a few weeks since he's been on, but I think he was having trouble with his phone. But he used yeah, to be really good. consistent, so he might start getting consistent again. But I I like to hear his perspective too because it's it's fascinating to me his age and what he is acknowledging and you know, paying attention to and trying to work on himself as, you know, such a Yeah, I think I see him evolving. Yeah. No. Did you have a I couldn't imagine doing that work in my 20s. I I don't think I, yeah, I don't think I would. Yeah, I don't know. I remember him coming on when he came on. I was telling Kara, I still it's on. So I don't remember how when he started. That's how bad my memory is. He's been here a while, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so you're going to be on with Carol, like, every week? Okay. Yeah, I've been on with Carol. Um, Bill's got plans for me. <laughs> you know, I'm just finding out what they are. Um, and I'm, like, in shock, you know, kind of like, what are you doing? <laughs> but he, he had asked me questions before, and I was like, no, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't. My brain don't work. <laughs> but it, it, it kicked in, so I'm like, I don't have an excuse anymore. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> Carol says she sees things I don't well, see. No. I'm like, okay, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That's okay. We get to do. Coming on. Yeah. And we could always use more people too. We could always use more folks. And um, I mean, I've already. I'll just throw this out there right now. Why not? Just on the air. I'll just start out there. Because I've already talked to Bill about this, but I'm probably going to have to kind of drop Wednesdays and just do Mondays for a little while because I'm doing some other back end stuff for NASCA, and I'm also going to be doing a group. Therapy, wow. um, equine therapy on Wednesday nights, and so I need to really do that because that's important to me. So um, yeah. yeah, so I was gonna starting next starting October, kind of put it out there that we kind of need some more hoes to help out. That's interesting. I'm glad for you. Yeah, do what you gotta do. Yeah, I'd say you make a, yeah. a statement. Well, I still want to do Monday. Wow. Yeah, good. 
I like your voice. <laughs> I like oh, you on the show. <laughs> and well, we'll do following. Thank you, everyone, for contributing tonight. And I guess we can close off the show now. We've only got a minute and a half left. So thank you for being on and all of your opinions mm-hmm. and thoughts. And as Penelope said, they're not all the opinions of NASCA. <laughs> we are just talking and having a conversation having the conversation. So thank you. Thank you all for your opinions and have a great night. And remember if thank you, Kim. You see something out there in the world as you are wandering around or going to work or whatever, if there is um something that looks you know not safe, then you need to say something, especially when it comes to children, because we all have that responsibility as adults. If you see something, please say something. Good night, everyone. Have a good evening. Good night.